darkly splendid abodes. The official podcast of Toronto Thelema. Exploring, if you will, practical philosophy. From science and the workings of the mind, to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came unto an emptiness, a formless void, an abyss. One of the more famous and popularized ideas in Thelema is that of crossing the abyss. But what exactly is meant by this? Edward Mason and I will discuss this second of the two critical crises of Thelemic initiation and the career of the magician. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. Good to see you, Edward. Um, Likewise. Everything going well down there in Mexico, I imagine? Uh, for myself, <laughs> personally, yes. I sense, I, a, a, I sense a hesitation there. <laughs> well, I'm looking at Mexico. Um, one of my blogs, I just did a piece the other day about the fact that the, the jacaranda trees always put on the spectacular blue-violet display of flowers in mm-hmm. February. And it just it's kind of starting now a few weeks late, but some of the trees aren't even trying. And we wondered whether that was because last year's rainfall was too little. And you know, we're in that, we're always watching rainfall because no rain, no nothing. No nothing. We, there's a lot of cattle ranching here. They need some pasture. They need uh, rainwater for corn. There's a lot of corn still grown here. Um, and we just need water for every reason. Everyone else needs water. So we're always very conscious of that environmental situation of how are things going. Two years ago, we had masses of rain. Last year, it was adequate, but no more. And three years ago, we had another meager year. So the rainfall patterns are not hugely encouraging. Combine that with a lot of people moving to an area that's close to Mexico City, where they can set up a weekend home or maybe telecommute from here, and the amount of construction that's eating up farmland is a bit of a concern. And of course, every house needs water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the the mathematics are a problem. And I think you, even if we're going to be talking about uh, Darth and the abyss today, uh, you can't lose your rootedness in common sense, mundane reality. There are certain physical things of life that uh, we do need to be aware of and to maintain decent control over our use of them. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, there's not much as an outsider that I can do. There's a lot of other people campaigning to uh, try and regulate usage and distribution of water supplies, but uh, there's also always people who can work around that. But let us, um, as I said a few minutes ago before we started, jump into the abyss and see where we go on this. Yeah, let's irrigate a different desert, so to speak. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, good metaphor. Marvelous. Um, There are a bunch of attitudes and approaches to what the abyss itself is. Um, The idea 
Kabbalistically on the hermetic side is that you can't go beyond that Gevura and Chesed duality, severity and mercy on the tree without there being such a fundamental shift in your perception, your understanding of things, um, your entire view of what you yourself are. So the abyss is the thing that needs to be crossed. And I would put the word crossed in inverted commas because common conceptions don't always apply. Now, some Hebraic Kabbalists say there's no such thing. You just have to be deeply, profoundly devotional, and you will find yourself at least in communication with the, the top triangle of the tree, the supernal triangle. That's one way through. If you're doing something like Zen, um, you are getting yourself hopefully into a state of very focused mindfulness, you know, dhyana, 110%. And at some point that lifts you out of any kind of compulsive connection to your regular consciousness. Therefore, you can make it through to the highest levels of understanding simply by sticking it out. These look very different to what Kabbalists would do, hermetic Kabbalists. I don't know whether they really are in practice. Um, the more time you spend on the Tree of Life, the more time you spend in Thelema. And the more Thelema itself spreads and evolves, the more we realize that methodologies have to change. Everyone's making their own way through this whole process. Crowley is still the absolute reference point, but you have to make sure that you don't necessarily get caught up in him and what he had to go through. Mm -hmm. How did the abyss come about? There's a bunch of legends. One is that three times the creator tried to make a stable universe, and it was only on the fourth time that we got the current cosmos, the one we're in right now, and therefore... Something had to be done with the previous three. So some vast, empty, deep, profound space was created, and the, the three previous uh, creations were swept down there. Um, then there's the idea that the tree of life, if you can imagine it, with this middle pillar stuff, Tefereth, Yesod, and Melkuth, all moving up one step. So where we have the pseudo-Sephira Darth now, just between the Bina and Chokmah, understanding and wisdom pairing, um, there is now this sort of pseudo-thing called we call Darth or knowledge. Before, Tefereth was there, or an alternative version, Tefereth never moved, but the sphere of the kingdom was there, and it fell all the way down to the bottom of the tree, where it hangs out, leaving a kind of space. Mm. Um, why did it get kicked down? Well, Adam and Eve messed up and sinned, so the condition of Eden, the perfect state, up in the top of the tree no longer was available. Or alternatively, um, God was kind of bored and thought, oh, well, let's, let's stir things up a bit. I've got a very stable tree of life. And having done that, I'm getting a bit bored these days. Or alternatively, um, various beings that were part of the early cosmos just decided 
this place is cool, but there has to be somewhere even cooler on the dark side of town. Let's change things around and we'll leap down into manifest creation and the kingdom, which at that point was just you know, pendant to understanding and wisdom, goes all the way down, almost right off the tree, but still is you know, firmly held by the last three paths. And you know, we can all down, go down there and party and it's going to be glorious fun, right? Whatever your legend, you can choose whichever one you like. The tree now has one upright triangle at the top, two downward pointing triangles underneath that successively. Mercy, severity, and beauty. Chesed, Gevorah, and Teferef as the first one. And then below that, victory, splendor, foundation, or Netzach, Hod, and Yesod as the third triangle, again pointing downwards, with Malkuth, the kingdom, right underneath that. Now, here we all are down in uh, Malkuth, but I'm sure some of us are trying to push our consciousness up further than that, and no doubt a few people listening to this have done so. Um, your big marker is Tefereth, right in the middle of the tree, usually colored yellow. If you can make it there, full consciousness, full on openness, full on presence of mind, all being well, if there's a pure intention, you get this actual conscious connection with this so-called holy guardian angel. You now have divine connection and you understand your own true will. You realize what it was all about. And life is much more interesting as a result. Mm -hmm. We're also told that if you do this two or three times and you just can't complete the work, what you need to do is go away and think about it all and meditate about it all, and then try again later and see if you can rectify any deficiencies in your previous effort. So there you are, a, an individuating consciousness, still living in a human body with a human mind and all of that stuff. You progress onwards through the severity of Gevorah, honing down everything to the essence of what your will is, what you're really here to accomplish and to realize. Finally, all being well, you will migrate to the right-hand side of the tree. There you are in chesed, in mercy, or sometimes referred to as gedulah, which is roughly majesty. And you're fulfilling pretty much everything that can be done on the human plane. However, you are aware that there is much beyond what you've personally experienced. And if you're trying to get into the supernal, tri the supernal triangle, that's a different prospect. We are warned explicitly that where you could screw up any number of times trying to get that teferic consciousness, um, and in the next two sephiroth, you can make errors and you can correct them. It, might, it may take you a while to rectify, you know, if you went too far in one direction, but you can do that. Now, this so-called abyss you have to cross to get to Bina and the city of the pyramids, as Crowley calls it, you have to do that perfectly. If you try to go across or through, hanging on to any of your beliefs, attachments, desires, um, 
irrelevant aspirations, distracting thoughts, anything that you've not admitted to yourself, then that doesn't simply hang around like a, you know, a stray puppy. It becomes something that becomes a center of distraction. What happens to you then? You can get stuck and you can't actually make it over. Or you can really go crazy because you have put yourself into a very intense state. What is this abyss thing in real terms? Um, true confession, I don't know. So I'm not going to pretend I've uh, glimpsed it. Obviously, the best account we have is the vision and the voice, Libra 418, where Crowley actually builds up through the Enochian atheist which is a pretty intense thing to do. Anyone who's tried to get into them and have those experiences says, okay, the first two were pretty easy. The second two were a bit harder. And then when I got to five or six, ooh, 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 that's difficult. Crowley's gone right through 20 or more of these things before he finally gets to the point where he says, and I behold, I behold the abyss. That's in his record, which is Libra 418. Um, near as I can tell, you're not going to see anything. That is, you're not going to see darkness or emptiness in a conventional sense or, you know, a vast chasm kind of like the, the cosmic Grand Canyon. If you go to the Grand Canyon, it, the scale is completely befuddling because it's a mile down to the bottom and a couple of miles across to these colored rocks on the other sides. It's almost like you're on a stage set there, but you know you're in a physical environment because people are always doing stupid things and falling down into it and killing themselves. Mm. Um, the abyss would be the absence of anything. And you have to get to a point, as I understand it, where all the things that you think you are, you have to let go. And of course, the psyche is constantly trying to reform some sense of self. What you actually run into is what Crowley calls the, the demon Coronzon. That's a name that comes from John Dee's work. You will also find people referring to the angel Abaddon um, as the, the angel of the abyss. And, you know, it could be um, somebody once told me that um, she knew she was going to meet the creature of the abyss, which had a Canadian name. I said, well, what's that? She said, A. Eh? Yeah, ex-husband. She'd been married to a very um, controlling, nitpicking man. And she imagined that crossing the abyss and encountering the, the non-beingness that you're going to come to there <laughs> would be like somebody who wouldn't let up and leave you in peace. It would keep coming up with thoughts and ideas. If you think about your first efforts or some of your later ones trying to meditate, you know, I'm just going to sit down here and meditate on um, the old psychic energy, whatever it is, or a tarot card. There's always stuff that the egoic consciousness is coming up with. You've got half an hour here. Don't worry, you can relax, <laughs> which, of course, 
you know, is the exact opposite of what you want to accomplish, which is you just want to get into this thing. Um, you forgot to pay the phone bill. Don't forget tomorrow. Um, don't feel tomorrow there's going to be something at work. There's that stupid meeting at 2.30 in the afternoon. You did do most of your preparation, but here's an idea that might help you what you're going to present. And all of that stuff comes to you when you're trying to meditate. Going into the abyss, you've taken this oath that you're going to deal with every particular that comes to you as a particular dealing with God, with your soul, however you define God. Um, you're just going to let go of all the stuff. People often ask about it and talk about it online, and it seems silly because unless you have extraordinary mental self-discipline, and even then I wouldn't want to try it, um, you shouldn't try going into nothingness and making a nothingness out of your regular ego self in the hope that you'll come to safe harbor with this vision of wonder or vision of sorrow that comes in Vina. Hmm. So, you know, people get scared of it. And I think, well, I get scared of the idea as well. But on the other hand, I'm nowhere near it. And I'm not sure anyone can actually, like Crowley, behold the abyss until it's time for them to push out into this absence of anythingness. I think that a lot of the time it seems like uh, people associate the abyss directly with Thelema. Um, and of course, that's a hugely important thing in Thelema in, because it's, we have the, the angel and the abyss, those two crises that occur throughout the AA path. Uh, and they're yes. strongly associated with Thelema because of things like the, uh, the AA path and also the, uh, the holy books, uh, like the vision and the voices you're mentioning. And, uh, I think the thing that seems to happen, though, especially with people online, is there's it's almost like Thelemic world building. It becomes yes. this idea that it's like within the Thelemic universe, there's an abyss. Uh, in this other universe, there's, you know, but the reality is, okay, the abyss that we're talking about is we're, we're talking about it in a way that Thelema looks at this thing that exists independently of... Uh, any one given uh, system, I would think. Otherwise, what reality would it have? Well, I think there was a bit of a, a feeling that Crowley was the first person out of his particular hermetic community to actually make it across. He says that it created a bit of a sensation when he laid claim to having done this. Um, yes, other people had done the Abramelian work and had something going on with the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, Crowley admits that, in his view, Alan Bennett had achieved this. His co-founder of the AA, George Cecil Jones, had achieved it. And quite probably, um, Florence Kfar probably had accomplished knowledge and conversation. Nobody else in the hermetic tradition around the Golden Dawny community who got that far. Um, and nobody else across the abyss. Now, I don't think anyone actually stays on the other side. Crowley is quite explicit that you sort of have this transcendent experience, then you come back and you are based from one of the Sephiroth 
in the below the abyss, usually chesed because that was the last one you got to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been kind of built up, and it's the really super cool thing to do. Um, it's a bit like you know, I think I'll be a billionaire. I could do a lot of good there. It, it, you know, as people say, it's the first ten million that's rather difficult. After that, <laughs> it gets a lot easier because you figured out money, and you know you can borrow money because you got the first ten million. Getting that far is difficult. And really, in hermetic terms, if you can get through your first 300,000, you've got somewhere. Um, So a lot of what gets people into Thelema is it's exciting, it's romantic. Mm -hmm. You made it out to be this this fabulous adventure, this heroic journey, and that's a good way of looking at it. But um, you started out wealthy and continued to live as if he was wealthy the rest of his life. Everybody else has this slight problem that at uh, 8.30 on a Monday morning, they are focused on earning a living, Mm -hmm. or maybe a different hour and a different day of the week, but there's still this fact that you have to be much more involved in the quotidian world of employment and earning cash and paying bills and figuring out a future for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think part of the glamour around this is people kind of hope that if you become a master of the temple, which is the grade you assume having crossed the abyss, uh, you know, somehow it'll all fall into your lap from that point onwards. Um I would imagine it becomes a lot easier, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy living a life. You still have to be a human being in the human world. You might have opened up your highest consciousness to what's on the other side of the abyss, but you still wouldn't be able to translate that experience into mundane, everyday philosophical terms. You just come up with some word salad that didn't really encapsulate um, what that was, what you experienced there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's the cool thing to do, but if you can get as far as knowledge and conversation in one lifetime, you've done pretty well. (laughs) And and don't forget that was Crowley's true will formula to teach the next step by which he meant Get, just get to that actual linkage with your own holy guardian angel, your own personal God thing, however that appears to you, however you need to relate to that. Um, that would begin to change the world in subtle ways, not in activist ways, not in um, public ways, but it tips the balance in the world a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it seems like uh, the... The side effect of having uh, this initial Golden Dawn system, for instance, and uh, the later developments of it uh, uh, and the way that people see it nowadays, it seems like the side effect of that is that uh, it does lay it out in almost like, uh, <laughs> okay, just to exaggerate a little bit, it's almost like um, you've got a video game 
and you've got several level levels to reach and uh, certain bosses to overcome and all this sort of thing. So people tend to approach it with that mentality of jumping through each of the levels and, and working their way to the end boss. Uh, and I think that, that has the unfortunate effect of causing us to uh, not be able to really just experience and be present with each of those those stages along the way. So like you're saying, it's like you could just spend your lifetime just focusing on the the uh, KNC. Yeah, and uh, if you do spend your lifetime focusing on KNC, well, well done. Um, we all need a starting point. So the, the video game thing, when you go to the next level and the next level and the next level, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a useful start. Um, right now in Mexico, there's a small class I'm teaching with people who are completely new to this stuff. They've all read a book or one person's read three books. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they, they kind of, I realized they're taking it in that video game context. And I thought, okay, start from that. Yeah. At least now they've got the first metaphor. But every time you move from one degree or one grade based on the tree of life, you're going into a new um, a modified worldview. You start off there in Malkuth. You're just you know, dealing with regular stuff and you've got the usual dreams and hopes and anxieties. When you open up in Yesod, now you're beginning to look at the first inklings of the astral world. And there's other stuff coming to you, little ideas, you realize something kind of special has happened. You, you've crossed a threshold. Different people feel more threatened by different stuff on the tree. Um, that's another thing I've learned, you know, teaching people. That finding out when somebody says, you know, that they suddenly need to go and do something else. It's a thing of what is it frightened you? Hmm. And people hate to admit that they got scared when they got into hold and found that it's about thought and ideas and your personal philosophy. And they've got a, a chaos of ideas that are all contradictory coming at them, and they're not quite sure what to make of that. Or then they move on, having resolved that one to Netzach, where you're supposedly dealing with feeling and emotion, but a lot of the feeling and emotion is sacred energies, and there are ideas coming to you that you didn't have before. Um, and of course, one of the paths leading then up to it is the path of Kof, to which we assign the moon card, which you know, it's a dark night you're walking through here. And it's not the dark night of the soul, it's just one dark night, but a lot of people get kind of scared. Some people get turned on by the scary. Ooh, yeah, I want to go and do this. Um, you know, people watch horror movies. And the idea of your own life being a real horror movie <laughs> initially seems kind of cool. Um, so people will be frightened. People need some kind of model to hang on to. And it takes a little while before they realize when they're dealing with a decent school or a teacher who knows some stuff that this is something that is intimately involved with living a life. It's not really separate at all. Even if you know the practices of Kabbalistic stuff um, are done in their own space, in their own time, at an assigned hour of the day, but they are spilling over into the day-to-day. -day. 
And you know you're really tuned in, not because you're seeing visions of archangels and things like that, but cool little coincidences mm-hmm. come. You know, you, you do an invocation, nothing really much happened, then you step out of what you call your temple in the corner of your bedroom, and at that precise moment, you get that email from the person who says, sorry, I've not been in touch for three weeks. I know you wanted me to tell you whatever it was. And you think, okay, there's a connection here. And that sense of connection is what really, I think, is redemptive for a lot of people and what really wakes them up. They realize it's you're not going away from life or beyond life. You're not triumphing over life. You're getting more connected to mm-hmm. living. And living is just a little bit more... Maybe fun's the wrong word, but interesting and meaningful. And that's been my own experience. You know, I, I can't levitate stuff off my altar, not yet. <laughs> um, but when I'm doing more stuff with this, when I'm more active ritually, when I'm doing more teaching, little doors open. I run into people I haven't seen in ages. I find out things that are significant about my environment or the place where I live or close friends. Um, suddenly somebody will just open up about problems they've been carrying on about and carrying inside themselves for ages. And they'll kind of look at you guiltily and say, is this okay? And I'm dumping my problems. And I think, no, you're showing me that I'm a trustworthy human being. I'm cool to hang out with. Like, tell <laughs> me more. I don't know whether I can tell you what to do about your problem. But nine times out of 10, if you can state what your problem in life is to somebody who's listening to you, that automatically gives you a bit more perspective and the ability to take the next step. So cool stuff happens. And if you start, you know, with a video game and you think there's going to be the, you know, level eight is going to be the cool thing when I cross the abyss, it's fine. But no, it's not cool. It's something that you need to be profoundly prepared for thank you for joining us love is the law love under will look for toronto thelema on instagram facebook and youtube watch for events in the city and join us again in the darkly splendid abodes 